0: Hello, and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moycliffe podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. I'm going to be talking about three main things on the mission today. Okay, we're going to, I'm preaching a little bit different. We're going to look at the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I hope you have time until tonight. <laughs> I'm kidding. Three things. God is on a mission. God gave his life for that mission. And he calls us to that mission. That's the three things we're gonna be speaking about. And I pray that from the sermon, this church, us, all of us, will give ourselves away to the same mission. So let's, let's ask God to do that in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, this is your mission. You're a God on mission. You gave yourself for this mission. I pray, Lord, right now, you will call this church. You will will speak to our hearts about this mission. Break down every barrier. Because I know, Lord, the moment I said mission, all of us, we throw out our excuses. We don't know enough. We don't have time. We're too busy. We're not equipped enough. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray you will break down every single barrier, every wrong perception, every wrong belief, and mobilize this church. Create in us a church on mission. But only you can do this, Father. So use these words as we worship you, looking at your word. Change our hearts that we will be on mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we look at the final part of this scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 47 specifically, we see these people, they devoted themselves to many things, God, family, and we get to the mission part and they say... These people were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So who was adding to their number those who were being saved? The Lord. So God in the Scripture is on a mission to take people who don't know Him and add them, save them and add them to those who are saved. Now, It is safe to assume that the people themselves were on mission, okay? They were busy telling about God because um, there's this saying that we often use. We say, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Anyone who've heard that saying? Heard that saying, okay? It's a good saying in that it emphasizes the importance of our lifestyle, but it's a bad saying in that it takes away from the fact that you need to preach, you need to speak. What are people going to believe if no one tells them anything, they're supposed to look at your life and say, that's good, I'm, I'm, I want to do that. No. What do you want to believe? They need to believe something. So it's safe to assume that if these people were believing in Jesus, then someone was sharing Jesus, but the Lord was doing the adding. God was doing the saving. The people were just living the life that God called them to and sharing the message. The reality is, God has been on mission since he created the world. Our God has been on mission. In theological terms, when we speak about this mission, we use a Latin phrase called "missio deo. Anyone heard that, vo- that word before, that phrase, "missio Dei," It's Latin for the mission of God, and it speaks of God's redemptive purpose and action in human history. So in other words, it speaks of God's mission to redeem mankind from what happened in the first day in the garden, the first time, right back in the beginning. What happened there? God has been from there on a mission to redeem what has happened. So we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to Genesis. We're going to end up in Revelation. I did not joke when I said we're going through the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. What's happening here is God is done with creation. He's done. He created everything. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God is in the garden. And there's some incredible stuff happening that we can learn from here, but there's some terrible stuff also happening. So let's look at what's happening. Genesis 3, verse 8 to 10 says, and I hope the kids like my picture. Do you like my picture, kids? Awesome. It says, they, this is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. My goodness, God, come walk in my garden, right? In the cool of the day. God's out for a stroll. That's awesome. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So rewind a bit. God gave Adam and Eve one prohibition. What was that prohibition? Don't eat of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, trust me. Let me define good and evil. I am God. Don't make yourself God and define it for yourself. And that's what they did. They ate of the of the tree. They realized that they were naked. Impurity entered the world, and they hid themselves. Now two things I want us to see here is number one, God walking in the cool of the garden, OK? My goodness, why did God create us in the first place? Tell me, was, was God lonely? Was he lonely? He was, he's, he's not lonely. He is perfect, whole and complete. So whether he need our worship? Is his power connected to our worship? No. His power is completely self-sufficient, unending and infinite, does not need our worship. He is not lonely, He is perfect, loving, complete, he has no lack. So why then create us? The Bible throughout the Bible speaks of God creating us to share that perfection with us. Other words that the Bible uses uses. To glorify, that we may glorify God. In other words, that we may reflect Him to the world. can't reflect Him if you don't know Him. There's other, in John chapter 17, it speaks of to know God. That's why He created us. He created us to share, to know. Not that you might do for Him, that you might know Him. So God is finished with creation. And guess what He's doing? He's walking around the garden. Why? Because He wants to know us. He wants to spend time. And He's calling out. Where are we? The first thing I want us to know. This is why God created us, to know us. The second question, second thing I want us to note, is God is asking, where are you? Now, does God not know where they are? Is God not all-knowing? So is he asking this question because he doesn't know where they are? They're playing a little game of hide and seek. No. Based on that, I believe God is asking a spiritual question, not a geographical one. Where do you find yourself right now spiritually? What have you done? What's going on? Where are you? He's trying to show them something is occurring. It's not a good thing. And here's what's happening separation. The people have to hide themselves from God. God created them for a relationship. They're running away from that relationship, they're separating themselves from God because they're sinful. They disobeyed, something entered the world that created separation between them and God. And there's a reality transpiring, and that is that God created for relationship, but separation is ensuing. And I believe that that question of God, when He sees, when He says, "Where are you?", shows His anguish over something that's transpiring, and that's that separation. So God confronts them; they blame shift. We love doing that, right? It's not my fault. The woman told me to eat of the fruit. And the woman, it's not my fault. The snake was speaking to me, okay? Snake speaking. Satan was in the garden, okay? The bringing of of evil. And God, right here, when he confronts Satan, he says, I'm going to be on a mission. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God tells Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So God is speaking about an individual, his head. He he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, not their heel, his heel. So God is making a promise in Genesis 3. He says, I'm going to come. Someone's going to come and he's going to stomp out and root evil out at its source. But going to cost him something. You're going to also bite him. It's going to cost him something as well. But from now on, me, God, almighty, creator, heaven and earth, I'm dedicating myself to a mission to stomp you out, to root out your evil, and to restore the evil that you brought in this world. I'm going to be on mission. And so what follows is this mess of mankind descending into brokenness and chaos? But God missioning constantly throughout human history, He's planning, He's preparing, He's prophesying, He's promising. Look, He promises to Abraham, He promises to Isaac, and to Jacob. He promises, Genesis 12, verse 3, that I, I wrote the scriptures, all the world will be blessed through your offspring. In other words, the one who's going to come and stomp out evil is going to come through your bloodline, and the whole world will be blessed through Him. Makes the same promise to Judah, one of uh, uh, Jacob's sons. Makes the promise to David, to Solomon. In some places in the scripture, we see God speaking of this person coming. He he gives him a name. He says in in Isaiah 9 verse 6, he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. My goodness, it's not just going to be a man. It's going to be God coming, stomping out evil. In other places, it speaks of his birth. From a virgin. Isaiah 53, this incredible chapter that basically describes Jesus' life, his whole life, his suffering, but that his suffering is going to be substitutionary. In other words, what we deserve, Jesus is going to take in his place. This is about five, six hundred years before Christ even came. Isaiah is already laying out his whole life. And so God is on mission. God is on mission. And then we get to point number two, where God gives his life for the mission. See, John 3 verse 16, we see that God gives his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So God is on mission throughout the Old Testament. He's on mission. And then he becomes a man. Jesus Christ, God's divine missionary to men, lives the perfect life that we should have lived in the garden. He shares in that perfect relationship that we were always created to share in with the Father. Lives it perfectly as God goes to the cross, dies in our place, So that if any of us would believe in Jesus, then our sins would be reckoned with, and we would be able to enjoy what God intended in the beginning, that relationship. And look at this, okay? Look at this. In the beginning, God created us to enjoy Him. No sin, no no pain, no suffering, no nothing. Nothing. Look at God's end plan, okay? His end game. What what does the end look like for God's mission? Congratulations, you reached the end of our journey. We're in Revelation now. Well done for everyone who took hold of your seats and stayed with me from Genesis to Revelation. Here is God's end in mind. Here's the end that God has in mind. Look at this. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, crying, pain. The former things have passed away. Is there anyone here who says, I want that, no more tears? No more pain, no more crying. In all the world, there is one hope. There's one way. Jesus. It's the only way. And these people are those who receive Jesus. That's these people. Because the other people, Jesus can't do that for them. Because they reject it. If Christ wants to come into your life and you say, but I don't need a savior, I will save myself. I will, I will bring, let me, let's go back again. The moment we were separated from God, think about it, okay? We're separated from the infinite source of love, an infinite source of approval, of significance, of meaning, of purpose, of comfort, joy, security, someone who cares for us. We're separated from that. But you were never created to be separated from that. But now you are. So you need to fill up those holes. How are you going to do that? And that's where we see, we give ourselves to what? Finances, jobs, family, children, good things, things that seemingly good to fill up the holes. And it just doesn't fill. Because our hole is God-sized. And so... If we are willing to say, Jesus Christ, you come and fill that hole. The one who is the size of God, come and fill the hole. Maybe then we'll be satisfied. I, I, I had a, a quote up earlier that St. Augustine is an early church father, was in North Africa, that he wrote. And it was actually on point one that I, that I placed the quote, but I want to bring it in here. where He says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee so God is a missional God he's on mission throughout history he comes to earth he gives his life to the mission but then doesn't stop there number three says he calls us on that mission God calls all of us on that mission In John chapter 17, this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, Go and read the scripture, okay? John chapter 17. Maybe this week, read it a bit in in your devotional time. This is the most extensive dialogue we have within the Godhead, the Trinity. The Son is speaking to the Father, and He's praying a whole chapter long. And He's praying a couple of very powerful things. One of the things He's praying, He's telling the Father, He says, As you have sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world. As I am your divine missionary, the Greek word there for sent is apostelo. That's where we get our word apostolic or apostle from. It means sent with an intentional mission. That's what it means, to be sent with an intentional mission. And so Jesus says, Father, you sent me, your son, with an intentional mission. And just like that, every single person who will ever believe in me I send them on an intentional mission. Every person. So, are we a church who's going to be a part of that mission? Is there a need for that mission? I've got a couple of statistics for us to look at, to ask. How's it going with this mission? Currently, there's 8 billion people in the world. Last year in November, we officially passed the 8 billion people mark. 2.7 billion of them are Christians. Of those Christians, 1.3 billion are Bible-believing Christians. Christians that say, I, do, I read my Bible regularly, I go to church, I've had an encounter with God, I have a relationship with Him, I believe in Him. 1.4 billion of those Christians are nominal Christians, which means they don't necessarily have a relationship with God. They don't, there's, they're not really, there's nothing in their lives that separates them from unbelievers. But culturally, they're Christians. So they say they're Christians but there's no difference between them and someone who doesn't believe. So that leaves us with the rest. 2.5 billion non-Christians live within reach of Christians. That's your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues. 2.5 billion of them live within reach of you. 2.8 billion live in nations we call unreached nations. That's nations where less than 1% of the population of the nation believes in Jesus Christ. And so if we wanted to go there, we had to relocate. We have to relocate. Now, how many people have relocated? Well, 429,000 missionaries that have relocated, that we know of in the world. Okay? Now, if you compare that to Herbalife and Tupperware, they have 3 million sales representatives that relocate. And Tupperware has 1.9 million Christianity has 429,000. Now 95% of those missionaries, 407,000, relocated to nations that are already reached. Okay? But still, of those unbelievers that live around them, that means every missionary needs to reach 6,100 people. One missionary, 6,100 people that that one missionary needs to reach. Only 5% of all missionaries are among the unreached. 22,000 relocated to unreached places. That means that on the shoulders of every missionary lies the souls of 127,000 people. Okay. Now, we're saying we're 1.3 billion Bible-believing Christians. If all of us reach seven people, six, seven, much easier, right? Then the missionary is having to reach 127,000. Well, here's the startling facts with regards to that 95% of all Christians have never led anyone to faith in Jesus Christ. That means that, what is it, one in 20? One in 20 people have, have, have led someone to Christ, the other 19 have never, of Christians. Now if, imagine you're going to war, okay? We go to war, and you need to form a battalion of 100 people. But of the 100 people, only 5 people have actually shot with a gun. The other 95 have never shot a gu- with a gun. They've never even held a gun. Are you excited to go to war? I just want to make this practical for us. 95% of Christians have never led someone to faith in Jesus Christ. 80% don't even try. They don't even constantly share Jesus. They don't, they don't, because the thing is, I can share Jesus. I can't determine when someone is going to come to faith. But I can share him. But 80% don't even do that. In other words, for every 60 Christians that is represented in this church, only one person will be reached with the gospel. For every 60 Christians. So we need every Christian to reach Seven. But it takes us 60 Christians to reach one. Something's amiss. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38, when he saw the crowds, when he looks at the billions, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he looks to his disciples. He looks to disciples and he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are very few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. There is that word again, right? Send, send out. You want to know? This word is not apostello. It's not sent with an intentional mission. This word is ekbalo. Can you say ekbalo? Try again, ekbalo. Parents, feeling this is for the kids also. Okay, come on, parents. Don't be, don't be shy. Ibalo means to thrust out forcefully if necessary. So Jesus says, disciples, pray that the Father will start thrusting out Christians forcefully if necessary. Because that's the earnestness of my compassion on a crowd that is helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. That's the earnestness that he wants to cultivate. And you know what he does then? In Matthew chapter 10, and this is one one narrative, the moment he tells them that, then he names his disciples. He names them. Peter, John, James, Judas, Matthew. And he names them all, and he sends them out two by two. Then he apostellos them again. So, friends, we as a church, we're devoted to God. That's the kind of church we're going to be We're going to be a church that's devoted to spiritual family, to the relationships of the people in this this place. But we're also a church that's going to give ourselves away to the mission. We're not just going to stay on these seats. And as a church, we're going to expect every single person who is in this here to say, but God, I will make this my priority, my priority, to tell people about you, to lead them to faith. And if I don't know enough, then I will go to my leaders and say, teach me. And if I don't have time, then I will go to my leaders and say, let's make time. And if, I, if I'm afraid, then you will come overcome my fears. Every single barrier, when we look at the harvest, is no longer viable, is it? To reach the harvest. So, what does this look like for us as a church? Well, Firstly, just plainly, are, are you guys, are we all involved in what we have, what we call the discipleship growth path? This is a growth path. Our church is uh, developed, designed to encourage, to empower every single believer, to make disciples of all nations. You start with engaging. We engage our culture and community. All of us are going to engage. Most of you have been engaged. Not engaged to be married, engaged by a leader to bring you in. Establish biblical foundations. Happens in our connect groups, happens victory training, happens blue the purple book. Then we're going to equip you. Equip training is coming up. You want to say, I'm not equipped to minister. Sign up for equip training. It's going to equip you to minister. And then you'll be empowered. Go out now. Your seat is nice and warm in here. Don't worry. It's not going anywhere. Go and fill the one next to you. That's the mission. Start with the, your neighbors. Your friends, like I said, 2.5 billion people are within reach of Christians. Start there. But then God has also been speaking to this church. We're going to be a missional church. Throughout the, throughout the, the year, we're going, to, we're going to go on missions. This church is going to go on mission. We're just going to send a group of people, you guys, to a nation where there's an every nation church, and we're going to help and mission and reach lost people for a week or two. And we're going to come back and you will see that's gonna change your life. And here's what I wanna ask you guys. Maybe you were sitting here now, and you were looking at these figures, and you realize, but, but you're part of the 95% who have never, done. you know what, forget about 95%, you're part of the 80% who's never even tried to tell people about Jesus Christ. Maybe you're, you realize that you yourself have been a Christian mainly by culture, by name but you haven't been taking the mission of Christ seriously. Here's the truth, friends. And here's what we need to do. We need to say, Lord, but I don't agree with that lifestyle. I don't agree with that anymore. I want to be a person who says that the mission is as important to me as it is to you because I love you and because you love me. If that's a commitment, maybe a turning away from a passive lifestyle to an active missional lifestyle, that's a commitment that you need to make here this morning. Now I want to invite you to stand so we can pray together. Awesome. Awesome. My goodness, the whole church is standing. Is that awesome? Awesome. awesome. Scripture, Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. They were harassed and helpless. One of my family members right now, um, her and her husband, they don't really believe in Jesus. They're so struggling with depression. Um, They're some of the richest people I know. And their lives are, they're harassed and helpless. And there's no hope. And, And one of my other family members the same thing. There's so much, so much going on in their lives and I feel like I'm sitting here and I have the answer for them. If they would but receive Jesus, can we ask God for the same compassion that moves us? It's not a superiority. It's not I have the answer, you don't. (laughs) It's compassion. I think we need to stretch out our hands. Let's stretch out our hands. Father, as a church, as a people as a family we want to say Lord if we have been passive for those of us who have been passive I know I myself I have not been placing the necessary priority on this mission that you have called us to do we turn away from that Lord we don't agree with that lifestyle we're not a church that agrees with coming to church on a Sunday to feel better about ourselves we don't agree with that Lord we're not a church that agrees with 2.5 to 2.7 billion people That can remain without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're we're not teenagers who agree with our friends that can give their lives away to alcohol and to drugs and to vaping and to, to the things that this world has to offer without saying, But I've got a better answer. Can I please help you? We're not okay with that, Lord. We don't agree with that anymore. Father, I pray you will pour out your spirit on this church right now, on every single one of us, that we will be moved with a compassion and a conviction. Come, Lord, and send us with an intentional mission. You know what, Lord? Ekbalo us. Thrust us out, if necessary. But no longer our comforts. When we stand before you, Lord, and your dwelling places with man, and we see that picture, no more tears, no more, no more pain, no more suffering, no more mourning, then our friends and our family and our loved ones will stand there with us because we will go on an intentional mission. Commission us. Here it is, Lord. You commission us. You call us. In Jesus' name, come, forgive us, and send us out. Fill us up. Send us out. Your mission. Lord, I pray every barrier, every, every, every misconception that says, I don't know enough. If you know Jesus crucified, you, you know enough. That says, but I'll push people further away. No, Lord. A dead person cannot be more dead than another dead person. A person who does not know Jesus does not know Jesus. We've got nothing to lose. Father, we don't need people's approval. We have yours. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, come fill us up. And I thank you, Lord, that this morning it is your gentleness, your compassion that moves us to say yes to your mission. We love you. And this whole church, we all say, amen. Amen. That concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationtwane.org forward slash That's everynationtwane.org forward slash Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then.